Lord. All right, Luke chapter 4 tonight. And by the way, I look forward to being here myself on Wednesday night. I've been away preaching several weeks. And I enjoy our Wednesday night service. Don't y'all? I really do. And I'm looking forward to being back here Wednesday night of this week. Look at verse number 16. And let me read down just a couple of verses. We'll skip over and read a couple of more in the chapter in a moment. Look at verse 16. And he came to Nazareth. Now the he that is in reference there in verse 16 is the Lord Jesus. And he came to Nazareth. Notice the Bible said a little, just a little bit sideline here where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, better known to us as the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of the sight of, uh, to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now if you want to just look at verse 18, notice, notice here are the five characteristics of sin. He sent me to preach the gospel to the poor. That's the bankrupt. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Sin will always leave you with a broken heart. To preach deliverance to the captives. That's the bound. Sin is like a chain. It binds us. The recovering of the sight to the blind. We're blinded by the God of this world. To set at liberty them that are bruised. Sin will bruise you, won't it? And there's the five characteristics of sin. Verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now jump over in the same chapter, look at verse 28. Let me read through verse 30. The Bible said this, And all they in the synagogue, so all those that were present there in the service that day, all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they weren't happy about it. While the Bible said they were filled with wrath and, and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. If I read that correctly, what I think they were going to do is throw him over the cliff. But Jesus didn't die, come to die on the cliff. He come to die on the cross. And the Bible said in verse 30, he passing through the midst of them went his way. Now I want you to leave your Bible open right here for just a moment. I'm preaching part number two on the subject of our lost loved ones. Let's pray. Father... Bless your word tonight. Thank you for the youth choir, the special song tonight, the privilege of being able to fellowship together in the house of God. And I pray you'd bless us now as we kind of scratch around in the surface of this text tonight. And may the Spirit of God convict us and help us and encourage us. Whatever we need tonight, use your word to help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were with us last Sunday night, I preached on the subject of uh, our lost loved ones. And the fact of the matter is everybody in this room tonight has lost loved ones. Your lost loved ones may be in the form of a brother or maybe a sister. Maybe your lost loved ones the form of a, is in the form of a mama or a daddy or maybe a son or a daughter or maybe even a wife or a husband. 
Maybe your lost loved ones, the form of a co-worker, somebody you're close to down on the job, somebody you work beside and have worked beside them for years, and they would qualify as your lost loved ones. I told you last week, to our surprise, even the Lord Jesus had those in his family that we could term and dove as lost loved ones. In the Gospel of John, chapter number 7 and verse number 5, we read words similar to these right here. For neither did his brethren believe in him. So here's the Lord, and of course we know that he had uh, Mary and Joseph. By the way, Mary and Joseph, uh, Jesus was the Son of God, uh, born in the vehicle of Mary's womb. Man had nothing to do with that. We believe that, don't we, around here? He was the virgin-born Son of God. But we do know that after Jesus was born, that Joseph and Mary, through the natural husband and wife relationship, they had other children, James and Joseph, and just to name a few. And the Bible said that right here in the very zenith of the ministry of Jesus Christ, that his own brothers... His own brothers did not believe in him. In fact, I closed the message last week by telling you something happened in the heart of the lost loved ones of Jesus because just before the day of Pentecost, they were gathered together there in the upper room and they were praying and beseeching and looking and seeking God's will. It is our responsibility to reach our lost loved ones. So last week I preached a little bit about the need for purity in our lives. If we're going to reach them, we've got to be pure. And I preached a little bit about persistence. Boy, if we're going to reach our loved ones, we've got to be persistent. And then I preached about prayer. And I told you that it all begins with prayer. But tonight, if you'd permit me to, I'd like to delve into this just a little bit farther because in our text tonight, we learn from the example of the life of our Savior how he witnessed to those in his family. In fact, what we have here in our text tonight is that Jesus has gone back to his hometown. He has gone back to where his family is, where his neighbors, his friends, his loved ones, those that maybe Jesus uh, attended school with, they were there in the town of Nazareth. Now this visit, this uh, episode is recorded for us here in the Gospel of Luke chapter chapter number 4. And we find ourselves, just so you'll have an idea where we're at, we're right at the very start of the earthly ministry of our Lord. It hasn't been but just a little while ago that he was baptized in the Jordan River. And John the Baptist, the baptizer, uh, cried from the banks of the Jordan River, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He has just been baptized. The Bible said that when he was baptized, the heavens opened and the Spirit of God descended like a dove and it lit upon him. And a voice called out of heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. All that has just happened. You know, uh, 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 Vance Habner used to say, when the, when the Lord opens the gates of heaven to bless us, the devil opens the gates of hell to blast us. Right after that great experience in the life of Christ when he was baptized, the Bible said the Spirit of God at the start of Luke chapter 4 drove him into the wilderness where he would be tempted of the devil for the next 40 days and 40 nights. Can you just imagine what that must have been like as he fasted 40 days 
and 40 nights there in the wilderness. And the Bible said that he was with the wild jackals and, and the wild beasts that were howling in the, in, the, in the desert. And there he was left by himself. And here come the devil rolling into that situation. His attempt is to bring down the Son of God. His attempt is, a, is to cause the Lord Jesus to sin. Of course, you and I know that that was an impossibility. Jesus was not tempted to show us that he could sin but wouldn't. Jesus was tempted to show us that he could not sin. He was the son of the living God. So the temptation is now over and the first place that Jesus goes after all that has taken place is that Jesus heads home. He goes to the town of Nazareth where we're told there in verse number 16 he had been, he had been brought up. It was his hometown so to speak. The place that knew him the best. And the life of the Lord Jesus, basically in the four Gospels, revolved around four towns. First of all, there was the town of Bethlehem. We know that to be the place of his birth. Then there was the town of Capernaum. We know that to be the place of his blessing. It seems like Capernaum was the place that Jesus had his headquarters during his earthly ministry, uh, the majority of it. And, and Capernaum was the place of his blessing. And then there was Jerusalem, and that was the place of his beating and his, and his blooding and his burial there in Jerusalem. But sandwiched kind of in between all that was, uh, uh, was the town of Nazareth. And that was the place of his boyhood. That's where Jesus had been brought up. That's where he played in the fields. That's where he worked there perhaps with uh, his foster father Joseph in the carpenter shop. That's the place uh, where everybody knew Jesus. He's back in our text. He's back around his friends and his family, around those that know him the best. Now you would think when Jesus got back to his hometown that he would receive a hero's welcome. I mean, you'd honestly think that maybe they would break out the welcome wagon and welcome Jesus back home. Maybe there'd be a ticker tape parade. Maybe they'd announce that this would be a, a, a town-wide Jesus day. Maybe the mayor would show up and present Jesus with the key to the city. Oh, there's got to be something done. I mean, the, uh, the hero of the hometown is now back in their midst. But that was not to be the case. No, not by a long shot. Because we read over in the Gospel of Mark about the same, this same incident and we read these words in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And the Bible said he could do there. Think about this now. These folks knew Jesus. I mean, they'd watched him grow up. They'd saw him when he was just a boy. I mean, buddy, right after his birth in Bethlehem, the angel took him to the country of Egypt and they stayed there until the death of Archelaus, the son of Herod. And then the Bible said the Spirit of God led them back into the land of Galilee to the city of Nazareth. And they'd watched him from just an infant. I mean walking, toddling along. And then, of course, as a young boy playing and, and an older teenage young man. And then in his 20s, they'd watched him all the years of his life. And yet we read that Jesus could do there nobody work save that he laid his hands upon a few 
sick folks and he healed them. Right there in the place that you would think he would receive the most respect is the place that his hands were tied because they just didn't believe in him. Right before I get off this and get on to the message, i got to point out there is a tremendous danger right here. And the danger is simply this. Having Jesus around you but not having Jesus in you. You know, there's a big danger about that. It exists in our day. People that are familiar with Jesus, people that have watched Jesus, been around Jesus, been around church, know the words of the songs that we sing, carry the Bible, been in Sunday school all of their life. Oh, yeah, they've been around Jesus. But I'll tell you something, friend, just being around Jesus don't get you into heaven. Not on your life. You see, Jesus has not just got to be around you. Bless your heart. He's got to be in you if you're going to heaven. You just not got to be connected with Jesus. You got to be connected to Jesus. Hey, it's more to it, friend, than just having some facts down in your head. It's having faith down in your heart. And here is a danger. These people have been around him. They've watched him. They've heard him. They've seen him all their life. But the only problem is they've just been around him. He's never been in them. Well, I'm glad tonight I can tell you Jesus has been in me. Jesus is in me. Is he in you tonight? If he is, guess what, friend? At the end of life, you and I get to go to heaven. But I just want to caution anybody sitting in this service tonight, hey, maybe he's around you. You're familiar with all this. You understand uh, all this. You know when to say the amens, and you know when to, when to do. You've been in church all of your life, but I'm here to tell you, friend, the danger is having Jesus around you but not having Jesus in you. Here's a town that they're familiar with him, but they, he can do no mighty work there. Why? Because of their unbelief. He's, he's been around them, but he's just not in them. Well, I want you to look at our text tonight, and here we go. How do you reach your lost loved ones? I'm delving now just a little bit farther into this text, and I want to talk to you tonight on how to be a good witness in your home or your hometown. Now, my hometown is Mount Airy, North Carolina. I was born there in the hospital, and I was raised up in Mount Airy, North Carolina for, uh, for uh, I guess, 24 years of my life till I moved off to go pastor my first church. Mount Airy, North Carolina has been my hometown. Everybody that I went to school with, most of them, now some of them have scattered around, some of them members of our church here, but people I went to school with, uh, are there in that hometown. Most of them still live there to this very day. I run into some of them occasionally around town. My family's there. Most of the Gammons family that lives lives out in Westfield or Flat Rock and, uh, you know, out in that area back there. So my family's there. My friends are there. That's where I was brought up. Most of you maybe were brought up around Winston-Salem, North Carolina, maybe King or maybe Rural Hall, Tobaccoville or Clemens or somewhere around here. This would be your hometown. Well, how do you be a good witness to people. What, what's a good way that we can really be a good example of what a child of God ought to be as we try to live out daily in the presence of our lost loved ones? What's a good way to be a witness? Well, in this text tonight, 619, I know, I know, I know I'm in a hurry, but I got five things, I'll say them quick, five things I'd like to say from this text tonight. If you're going to be a good witness, if you and I are going to make an impact on our lost loved ones, there are five things we got to nail down right here from this scripture tonight. Are you with me? Say amen. Number one, if you're going to be a good witness, number one, you're going to have to nail down faithfulness. 
you and I are going to have to be faithful. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, look at verse number 16. Here's what we read. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was. Now, look at that word custom for just a moment. As his custom was. Here are some synonyms for the word custom. His routine his habit, his practice, his way, his rule in life. In other words, the Bible said that as his custom was, as the routine of his life, the habit, the practice, the way or the rule of his life was, in verse 16, that he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now look right here, focus your eyes right here. That would be just like me and you saying that we went to the Lord's house on the Lord's day. In other words, the Sabbath day, this is the time when the Jews met in the time of Christ is still pretty much this day, but he went to the synagogue. These synagogues were started when Israel was in Babylonian captivity. They were away from the temple. So if there were 10 families in a certain area, they would form a synagogue. It would be like a little church. And what they would do is they would go to that place for worship on the Sabbath day and there would be an, a rabbi or a priest or an elder and they would stand up and read a portion of the scripture from the Old Testament prophets and, and then somebody would stand up and offer up an explanation of just what they had read and then they'd sing a few psalms and then they would have prayer they would offer up prayers and then they would leave the synagogue services on the Sabbath day and they would go back home now ladies and gentlemen that kind of somewhat sounds like a little bit of what we do around here at the church on the Lord's day. We'll take a text from the Word of God. Hey, we'll get together and we'll sing a few songs from the, from the hymn book and we'll, and we'll have some prayer time and sometimes testimony breaks out. And people come to the altar and then somebody will read a portion of text from the Word of God. The preacher will. He'll stand up and he'll begin to try to work through that text and offer up an explanation of what's going on in that text and make an application to our lives of how all that applies to us in this day. In other words, what I'm trying to say what they did back in that day is a whole lot similar to what we're doing in our day and the word of God said that it was his custom it was his habit it was his practice it was his uh, it was his uh, routine in life that on the Sabbath day that the son of God went to the house of God on God's day now let me tell you something friend if you and I are going to make an impact on our lost loved ones we're going to have to nail down faithfulness to the house of God I mean, you and I are never going to reach our lost loved ones half in and half out. Come a little while, quit a little while. I mean, come one service, don't come back for two or three months. I'm telling you, that's not going to make a difference in the lives of our lost loved ones. They're going to have to see some people being faithful to the Lord's house. Buddy, I'll tell you what, I want to be faithful to God's house. Now watch this. If Jesus deemed it necessary, who was Jesus? Oh, he was the son of God. Who was Jesus? Oh, he was God the Son. And if Jesus, the Son of God, and if Jesus, God the Son, made a habit, a practice, a routine in his life to go to the house of God, he felt compelled to go to church. How much more should you and I? Can I have an amen? He was the Son of God. We are the sons of God. He was perfect. Guess what? We're sinners. Hey, he was holy and true and just. We're anything but that. But if he made it a habit, a ritual, a routine in his life to go to church, how much more should you and I nail down faithfulness to the house of God? Now I hear it. I hear what you're saying. Well, preacher, 
I'll tell you what, I, I hear all the excuses why people can't go to church. Don't you? I mean, uh, one excuse that you hear oftentimes is, well, it's dead at the house of God. You know something? It is dead sometimes at the house of God. I've been in some services before, and you have too. It's dead at 4 o'clock. I mean, I've been in services. We've been just as good to sit at home. I mean, it's been dead. Can I have an amen? Graveyard dead. Twice dead and plucked up by the roots kind of dead. Dead as last year's burden. I've been in those services. But can I tell you something? You couldn't get any more deader than these synagogue services was. I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of amen going on. There wasn't a whole lot of testifying. There wasn't a whole lot of shouting and praising God going on. I told you, they'd stand up, read a scripture. Somebody would offer up an explanation, sing a few psalms, maybe have a few prayers, and they would head home. But I'm telling you something, in spite of the deadness, guess what? Jesus made it a custom. I'll tell you what, I don't like dead church, but I'm here to tell you, if it gets so dead around here that we think we're at a funeral, we still ought to show up at church because we ain't never going to make a difference in the lives of lost people until we nail it down. We ought to be faithful to the house of God. All you young couples that are getting ready to get married and some have gotten married, but you need to be faithful to the house of God. Can I have an amen? Hey, can I just stop and say your marriage is a whole lot more likely to make it if you'll stay faithful to the house of God. I get it, even inside the church, things happen. Uh, you know, uh, people uh, cross, get crossed, crossed wires and marriages can fall apart. I get all that even inside the house of God. But I will tell you this, it, your, your home, your marriage is a whole lot more likely to stay together if you'll nail down faithfulness to the house of God, no matter how dead it may get around here, you'd be better off. Faith come up by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17, and when we gather together if we don't get nothing else out of the service brother just hearing the word of God will increase our faith so says the Bible we need to be faithful in spite of the deadness somebody else said well I would come to church but all they do is fuss and fight well can I tell you something if you look in this text right here they tried to kill the very son of God in the church that day and I need I remind you that it was the priest the chief priests and the religious rulers that plotted the death of the Son of God right there in the temple in the city of Jerusalem. But in spite of the fussing and fighting, they still went on to church anyway. Can I have an amen? Buddy, we need to nail down faithfulness. In spite of the deadness, in spite of all the fussing and the fighting, what about this? In spite of the hypocrites. Can I tell you, all these synagogue services were full of was hypocrites. And let's just be honest just a little bit if we can for just a moment. There ain't no one of us in here that's perfect. And I know there's probably some think they are. But I got some sad news for you, friend. You follow me around long enough, you're going to find some problems in my life I need to work on. And guess what? I listen to you talk a little bit. I follow you around. I see you roll through the stop signs. Yeah. I see you frying up Highway 52. That sign says 65 and you're doing, don't you give it, don't you come off to me. Friends, you got it all together and everything's all right in your life. We all from time to time say one thing and do something else. Can I have an amen? But can I just tell you something? In spite of the hypocrites, in spite of those who say one thing and do the other thing, listen, I ain't going to die and go to hell over anybody. Amen. Somebody said, well, I ain't going to church because of hypocrites. Well, buddy, I'd rather go to church with them and die and go to hell with them. Amen. You say, preacher, don't tell me y'all have hypocrites in your church. 
I don't know how you do this, but several years ago, I got an anonymous email. I don't even know how to send an anonymous email. But I got an anonymous email that said this, not coming back, period. Too many hypocrites in your church. If there would have been a return address, here would have been my reply. Do tell. We got them, don't we? You're looking at one, and I'm looking at some. We all got our battles. We all got our struggles. But can I give you some, can I give you some good advice? Come on to church anyway. You go to the beauty shop with them. You shop at Walmart with them. Come on. You go to McDonald's and eat with them. Well, then you can come to church with them. You'll be all right. <laughs> Number one, God be faithful. 628. Number two, not only do we need to be faithful, but if we're going to reach our lost loved ones, we've got to be careful. Faithful, then careful. What are you talking about now? Well, did you notice that phrase there in verse number 20, that last phrase that says this? And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened. For Scythe County word, they were riveted on Jesus. They were watching him. They were, they were what's he going to do next? What's he going to say next? Watch him. What's his actions going to be? And ladies and gentlemen, can I just remind everybody in this room tonight that just as all those eyes were fastened on him, that there are some eyes fastened on us tonight. That's why we got to be careful. Hey, we got to be careful because people are watching our lives. The eyes of this lost world, those of your lost loved ones, your family members that are lost, they're watching you. Their eyes are fastened on you. Their eyes are riveted on you. Listen, I don't want to give them any ammunition to use against me. I know me better than they know me. And if they knew me like I knew me, I probably, I mean, they probably wouldn't have any confidence in me whatsoever. And if I knew them like they knew themselves, I wouldn't have any confidence in them either. I said all that to say this, man, people are watching us. They're listening to what we say. They're watching what we do. And they're just, watch this, they're just waiting. They're just waiting. It's a little bit confusing when you tell them you're a member over here at Woodland and then you cuss like a sailor. It's a little bit confusing to people when the sheep start acting like the goats. It's a little bit confusing to people when people who say they're saved tell the same old dirty jokes that the world tells. It's a little bit confusing to people when people who say that they're saved drink the same alcohol and do the same drugs, snort the same drugs and look at the same smut on the computer and in all that. It's a little bit confusing when we play the same card games and punch the same punch boards and, and participate in the same lottery. I'm just saying, they got their eyes on us. When you and I name the name of Christ, from then on out, we're a spectacle unto the world. They're watching us. We live in a glass house, and every action is weighed, and every word is heard, and they're just waiting for something to go wrong in our lives so they can look at us and use us as just another illustration of a bad example of what a child of God ought to be and they look at us and say, well, if they're saved, the woods is full of saved people. If they're saved, everybody's going to heaven. I got nothing to worry about. Oh, friend, we got to be faithful and we got to be careful. You know why? The eyes are fastened on us. Number three, 631. We need to be faithful. We need to be careful. 
But look at verse 18. We need to be powerful. Notice that phrase in verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now Jesus said, talking about the Holy Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the Lord is upon me. I, but I got one better than that. He's not just upon me, he's in me. And listen, when you got saved, he just didn't come upon you. He comes inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. And guess what he wants to do? To empower us. The number one reason that God gave us the Holy Spirit is to make us witnesses. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses. God wants us to be a witness. And by the way, can I stop? Somebody say, well, I don't even know where to go. I don't even know what to say. What do I say to my lost loved ones? I got good news for you. You see, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, don't worry about it. Because when that time comes, he'll tell you what to say. Look at this good verse right here. Matthew chapter number 10, verse 19. When they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. And it goes on to say this, for, for it is not ye that speak, but the, what's the next word? The Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Now look at me, I'm not saying, I know we got some primitive Baptist people who say, man, don't worry about it, you don't have to read the Bible, you don't have to study, don't worry about it, when you stand up, God will just fill your mouth. Well, probably, with a lot of junk. I think we ought to put the Word of God, I think we need to read the Bible, we need to memorize Scripture, we need to put it in. But when it comes time being a witness, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of you is going to start drawing that out of you and he'll tell you what to say. It has been amazing to me in my experience along this journey of life how the Spirit of God has just at times, I mean just at times, boy, the Spirit of God just come home and just, man, it just seemed like the Spirit just starts drawing stuff out. Verses that I've memorized or, or, or things that I've read, uh, things that illustrations in the Bible that I could use to help that individual. And I didn't even have it on my mind, but I'll tell you what happened. The Spirit of God who lives on the inside of me started putting it, just drawing it right out of me. Don't worry about what you're going to say. You know why? We got a power available to us as a people of God that lives on the inside of us and he will help us in that hour what to say. Powerful, careful, faithful, powerful. Number four, watch this one. Mindful. Mindful. What are you talking about preacher? I'm talking about the word mindful. We got to be mindful that we don't have long to get our lost loved ones saved. Look in our text now, verse number uh, verse number 18 and verse 19, the Lord quoted these verses from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, and these are literally taken from our Old Testament. And Jesus said, okay, I just want you all to know, here's what I'm here to do. I come, verse number 18, uh, to preach the gospel to the poor. So I'm going to help those that are bankrupt. I, I, those that are brokenhearted, I'm going to help them. I'm going to help those that are bound by sin. I'm going to help those that are blind. I'm going to help those that are bruised. I've come to preach, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he stopped. But that isn't all that verse. When you go back to the book of Isaiah and you read these same verses, here's what you read in Isaiah. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, he stopped. But the rest of the verse says this and the day of vengeance of our God. You know why he left off reading that verse? Because it was his first coming. That's what he came to do, to proclaim 
the acceptable year of the Lord. I have come to bring grace. I have come uh, to, in order to set the captives free. But he left off right there. But just as sure as he did, there is going to come a day of vengeance of our God. And we know that day of vengeance is not too far down the road. We better be mindful that the time is short if we're going to try to reach our lost loved ones. The day of vengeance of our God is just around the corner. Boy, we got to do it while we got time. Be mindful. And last of all, look at this one. We need to be painful. And you say, preacher, painful. What's the pain in all this? Well, you just need to know that there's going to be those who reject us. And when that happens, it's going to bring great pain to our heart. But look what they did to Jesus in verse 28. They were mad as a, I mean, they were mad as fire at Jesus, verse 28. They were filled with wrath right there in his own hometown. Those who knew him best, they rose up, verse 29. They were going to throw him over the cliff, and he passing through the midst of them went his way. They rejected what he had, had to say to them right there in his way. And guess what? Listen, there's going to be times when our own family members reject us. But God didn't call me to be received. God didn't say we were always going to be received. There will be those times that we're going to be rejected. I got some of my family members, they won't get within a 10-foot pole of me. It's like I got some kind of a disease. Just because I'm a, I guess I'm a preacher, I'm a Christian, I don't get invited to the homecomings. I, I don't, they don't invite me to the things that are going on. I could give you a, a real recent illustration, but I don't get invited to that stuff. Can I tell you something? Who cares? Saves me a little money having to buy a present, a shower gift. I'm glad to be a Christian. Saves me some money. But they don't want me around? That's fine. I get it. I make them feel uncomfortable. It's okay. I'm, and I don't mean it's arrogant, but I'm in the light. They're in the dark. There's a rub there. I get all that. There's a rejection going on, and it grieves me. I'd like to be around some of them once in a while. Uh, when, I go to, when I went to that family reunion a few years back, and they called on me to pray, and I thought, man, what a great time to preach a little bit. So I just, in my prayer, I just started thanking God for Jesus for what he did. When I got done, it was like, man, the whole potato salad was mine. They wanted me to pray, but they wanted me to pray a little encouraging, give them a little encouraging word. And I dropped the bomb of the gospel on them right there. And, and I'm not ashamed of that. But when I got done, it was like, man, we ain't never going to ask him to pray again. And I get it. It's okay. Because, listen, if they rejected him, I guess they're going to reject me. And it hurts and it grieves. But guess what? God didn't call me to be accepted. God called me just to tell the truth. And that's what he's called you to do. So if you don't get invited to the wedding, if you don't, if you don't get invited to the family reunion, you're going to be all right. We're heading to a wedding. And it's going to be a family reunion in the sky. And it's going to be all right. Let's bow our heads for prayer. I'm sorry.